either give your employees, your prospects, your customers, the consumers, give them that special experience. Again, that's what sponsorships are built for. And that's why we find that in terms of the effectiveness over other marketing channels, many times it can't be beat because of that one-to-one relationship and experience that really changes people's feelings. You're listening to Real Marketing Real Fast, the only podcast that brings you unfiltered, undaunted, insider information on the latest tools and technologies for online marketers. Prepare to dive deep into marketing myths, breakthrough models, and cutting-edge strategies that will have an immediate impact on the growth of your business. And now, here's your host, marketing expert, Doug Morneau. Well, welcome back to listeners to another episode of Real Marketing Real Fast. Today, we're going to talk about all things sponsorship marketing. And in studio, I've got joining me Ken Unger, who is a author, speaker, and sponsorship expert. Ken is the president and founder of a company called Charge. And prior to founding the agency, Unger worked as a marketer, a league representative, event promoter, and a business leader at the highest level of professional sports. He is an attorney and a member of the American Marketing Association and the Sports Lawyers Association. His experience in sports, business, personal branding, media training, sponsorship and endorsements, as well as agents and legal issues led him to to author ahead of the game what every athlete needs to know about the sports business. Unger has worked with marquee brands on sports sponsorship and endorsements, including Bridgestone, Firestone, Coca-Cola, Disney, General Motors, Honda, Jim Beam, Microsoft, Reebok, and more. Unger's media interviews have been carried on outlets including ABC News, CNN, ESPN, Forbes, Fox, Good Morning America, LA Times, New York Times, Chicago Tribune, Washington Post, Sports Journal, Sports Illustrated, USA Today, and World Tonight. He's also had a position or held a position as the Chief of Staff of the Indianapolis Motor uh, Speedway and the Chief Marketing Executive for Indianapolis. IndyCar. So I am super excited to dive into this conversation about how sponsorship works and how to cut through the clutter for our marketing messages and get ROI from our sponsorship. So I'd like to welcome Ken Unger to the Real Marketing Real Fast podcast today. Well, hey, Ken, super excited to have you in the Real Marketing Real Fast podcast. So welcome to the show today. Thanks, Doug. It's really great to be here. Well, I was super excited to see that you were involved with CART or with the IndyCar, being that I've done a little bit of work in that space years ago. But I think it's going to be a great conversation and just want to turn it over to you to kind of share a little bit about what your company does at Charge in terms of helping people understand and leverage sponsorship marketing. Yeah, well, thanks, Doug. I I feel that I'm a Sherpa guiding clients through sponsorship. Uh, Our agency helps them identify opportunities and also helps them avoid the pitfalls so they can really use this marketing tool to accomplish a lot of their business goals. So, I mean, the first thing is opportunity. So I guess, you know, there's not, um, you can't be everywhere. So do you normally suggest or recommend to your clients uh, when you start working with them that they they look at one or two or three areas opposed to trying to be, hey, I'm going to sponsor everything? Yeah, that's a great question. So what we do is we ask our clients to start with their audience. So who are the people that they sell goods and services to. That's their target audience. Then we have them go out and look for properties or look for places uh, to sponsor that have that exact same target audience. Because really what they're trying to do is use this tool to connect with their 
with their customers, but in a really different context. Because at a sporting event, for example, the context is much more relaxed. They could talk to race fans or they could talk to fans of football or rugby or any sport in a way that they can't when they're just talking to customers as the brand. Right. Well, one of the things that I've experienced, I mean, because we've done some sponsorship stuff, we had sponsored our local hockey team, the Canucks, for a few years. And one of the things that was immediately noticeable to me was how um, the volume of inbound calls came from all the other NHL teams all across the country saying, hey, you know, do you want to name a building? Do you want to be a sponsor? Do you want to be in ice here? So it definitely raised the visibility and it attracted more opportunities as well. Yeah, you got on their target list. (laughs) Yeah, I did. That's right. Say, hey, somebody can write a check for $600,000. Phone this guy. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. But, you know, we see companies get into sponsorship for a variety of reasons. So, for example, some of the goals that sponsors are trying to attain are building brand awareness. They want to increase brand consideration or brand preference. A hockey game could be a great place to entertain a prospect. We have larger clients that want to use sponsorship for employee engagement. Then, of course, you know, there's the old fashioned while we're in business. So we're going to generate leads. We're going to sample our products and we are going to sell things. So you have uh, companies in sponsorship for a variety of different reasons. But all of those things could be accomplished with the right sponsorship. So for our listeners that, you know, have never gone down this road before, so they might have sponsored, they might have had someone knock at the door, call them and ask for a donation for a local charity, which is kind of a sponsorship. But those who are, you know, kind of in your expertise, where do they start? So for our listeners, they're going, hey, you know, our company's doing, you know, doing fairly well. We're looking at branding and, and expanding. Where's the kind of a first point to start? Yeah, the, the first point to start is to really understand their customers And really, so you ask yourself, where are your customers hanging out? So if they're hanging out at a hockey game, then that's the kind of sponsorship you look for. If they're hanging out uh, in with the arts um, and they're music fans or they are um, fans of another type type of entertainment property, that's where you start about whether there's a sponsorship opportunity because you're trying to connect with the audience. That's the same audience that you sell to. Sure. So that's really kind of the the first step is to understand, you know, where those where that audience is hanging out. So after that, you you approach the property and and properties that sell sponsorship are more than happy uh, to entertain any kind of conversation about creating a relationship that makes sense for you. Now, I, I think at this point, I'd like to underscore the fact that it's a relationship. So the difference between sponsorship, say, and advertising is sponsorship is a relationship between the sponsor and the property. So, you know, when you were a sponsor of the Canucks, you had a relationship with that team. It wasn't that your logo of your agency was being hung, you know, you know, on a dashboard. It was that you actually had a relationship with the team. That relationship is really important for a couple of reasons. When the fans of that team saw that you had a relationship with their favorite hockey team, there's what we call in, in, in sponsorship image transfer. Right. So the 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 good feelings that they have for that team are then transferred to you uh, and you're held in higher regard as a result of the sponsorship. But it's really about the relationship because it's something that just a, a logo on a wall can't do alone. The property is, in essence, vouching for you as a company. That's where the real power of sponsorship comes in, because it transforms the way that those fans look at you after that sponsorship. 
Well, and for us, it was a learning experience because admittedly, it was the first time we had done anything like that. We probably could have started it a little bit smaller. But so to your point of relationship, I mean, we learned a lot of stuff. We learned that they were willing to create opportunities for us. I mean, they, we have to pay for them, but they're willing to create opportunities that were in alignment with our values. So we do we did a lot of charitable stuff. We still did a lot of charitable stuff. So the 50-50 draw that raised money for Canuck Place for a hospice you know, they let us brand that because they knew that charity was important to our company. So you're right. I mean, there was, that was something new. I, I never expected. I thought it was kind of like advertising where you get the, the data card and you kind of pick the things that you want. And to, to their credit, they said, well, you know, how could we best serve you based on your values and where you want to go? Yeah, and that's when the best sponsorships happen. So you raised two important points in that example, Doug. But, you know, first of all, it's customizing the relationship as time goes on. So that's why you'll see these sponsorship relationships are generally multi-year because they need time to, to develop as a real relationship, just like a friendship develops over a series of years. Just having these conversations uh, with the property like the Canucks will yield opportunities for your business that you couldn't have imagined at the start of the relationship, primarily because you didn't know how the relationship would work. At, at the first part of it. Then the second thing you raise is that it's really customized to you. So if, you know, CSR and charitable issues are really important to your company, things could be tailored to you to help you achieve, because that's one of the goals of your business. Uh, it helps you achieve that goal through the sponsorship relationship. So it's really important that, you know, it be that two-way brainstorming give and take between the sponsor and the property that they're working with. So, I mean, that makes sense. So you're saying, number one, to, uh, you know, identify your target audience. So where are your customers hanging out? And then number two, realize it's a relationship. So you're not just buying buying an ad. And, and beyond that, um, how much do you um, invest with your clients in terms of helping them leverage that? Because one of the things that became very um, apparent was I was looking at the other sponsors in the arena. For example, there was, you know, there's Best Buy and there's Budweiser and there's TELUS and there's all these big national brands. And I was surprised at how little, um, not picking on them, but as a marketer, I was surprised at how little engagement or effort they put into engagement with the fans other than having their logo on the board or on the ice or on the screen. Yeah, that's a really great point. And, and that's what we call leverage. It's what does a sponsor do to leverage the, the relationship? Because the, the least successful sponsorships are what, what I call set it and forget it. Yeah, where they they either don't show up at all, right? It's just their logo, or they they have a they run a thirty second ad on the video board, and they really don't take advantage of the relationship. And so those leverage activities, which sometimes is called activation, is the most critical part of the sponsorship because it's really where you create that relationship with that target audience. Okay, and there there are lots of great examples of, of what happens. But generally, if you're creating a relationship with the target audience that somehow benefits that audience and they believe that you fit in to where to the to the sponsorship, meaning that your brand and the property's brand fit together yep. and that you're there for a sincere reason that you really want to. For example, you want to make the the audience experience better. Um, you're the sponsor who's bringing to them free Wi-Fi. 
Uh, you're the sponsor that's bringing to them a kid's midway area uh, at a sporting event where a family could bring their, you know, their toddlers uh, and they can have a great time. You're the sponsor that made that happen. So when, when an audience sees that your presence is benefiting them, they let their guard down. Really, in terms of why you're there, they're now accepting you as a as an integral part of their experience, as opposed to a company with a commercial message that they have to go. No, no, no! This is a commercial ad. I'm not going to listen to this. <laughs> yeah. So now, all of a sudden, they're like, "This is great. This company is here to make my experience as a fan better." Or if they really feel that you're there to commercially support the team, to make their team a reality. That's going to be transferred to that sponsor with all kinds of benefits, including higher purchase consideration, better brand awareness. Fans remember when you've done a good deed as a sponsor um, sure. for an event. I mean, that's interesting. I mean, the because a lot of the sponsorship opportunities that we've seen since have been, you know, you've got the opportunity to use the brand or use the team logo and and branding, which is huge. And so, to your point, take that and and, and leverage that. And with the the reach of a lot of these companies, even with with social, what caught me off guard was like, why aren't they promoting game day? Why aren't they promoting, you know, victories within within the organization? But a lot of them are just just silent. So. You know, I guess that's a non-activated partnership, but that's obviously not the route that you guys are, are taking your clients. Yeah, no. Is there a, a, a case study or an example or a client that you want to share with us? Maybe name them or not name them. Totally up to you. Yeah. I, for example, uh, we work with American Honda with its Honda and Acura brands, and they do an amazing job of kind of bringing kind of experience to, to all of their sponsored events. For example, uh, they bring a two-seat uh, IndyCar to the IndyCar races that they sponsor called the Honda Fastest Seat in Sports. Oh, cool. And it's driven by a um, by a championship race car driver. And really, in the backseat of this IndyCar, uh, a fan is given the experience of a lifetime where they really get to, on the track, at speed, experience what it's like to be in a real race car. Oh, that'd be cool. Yeah. So things like that really bring the event to life. And I have no doubt because I've seen the expression on on fans faces when they take that ride. It's a once in a lifetime experience, something they could not have gotten. But for, you know, the sponsorship that that Honda was was involved in. So those are kind of that's kind of an example of how you leverage an event. And how you kind of bring to that event a great fan experience, uh, which then is transferred into a enhanced image for that sponsor. Well, I, I think what happens lots of times, like you said, with someone like Honda, who's done a good job with Indy, is they they give access to, you know, what I call rare air. There's opportunities that people just don't get. So to be able to get even close to a cart um, let alone sit in one or go for a ride on the track is just stuff that, um, you know, people dream about and just don't have access to. So the, like you said, the sponsor is the hero for making that uh, possible. Yeah. And that's a really important point, Doug, that, that access feature, whether it's a B2B sponsorship. So whether it's a company that wants to, to speak to other companies that they sell to or to B2C, you know, to consumers, giving that behind the scenes access because, you know, in, in some sports, you know, like baseball, it's almost impossible to, to get into the dugout. Yeah. But if you could lift that velvet rope 
And you could either give your employees, your prospects, your customers, the consumers, give them that special experience. Again, that's what sponsorships are built for. And that's why we find that in terms of the effectiveness over other marketing channels, many times it can't be beat because of that one-to-one relationship and experience that really changes people's feelings. Well, and we saw the sponsorship, uh, we've experienced it on both levels where it's a corporate sponsorship, like you said. So it's that relationship, um, but it's a business for business relationship. And then there's the charitable sponsorship. And we've seen that mix. I mean, we had, you know, it's at, at one point it sponsored several large charitable golf tournaments. And the reward, if you want to call it that, as being the title sponsor was we had, you know, the top athletes from our football team or hockey team were the foursome. So again, they give access to to players that you would normally see at a distance or see on TV, uh, which was you know a reward, if you will, for the sponsor who wrote the check. Yeah, and that's that's really an important point. And as part of that, because of kind of the trend in corporate social responsibility that we're we're seeing across the world, we're seeing the rise of of sponsorships that benefit not for profits. And so as, as part of that, whether it's like you said, a charitable golf tournament where a celebrity uh, attends. Or even what we've seen is is sponsors are mandating that the properties that they work with have some demonstrable CSR policy. Like what is what is their policy to give back to their community? What charities do they work with? You know, how do the charities benefit from the events that they run? And even it's going so far as there's a new trend in this area called event social responsibility where sponsors and properties working together are are requiring that events have sustainability goals and have recycling goals and have carbon neutral footprints and all these things which which you know benefit society but we're really seeing the rise of kind of the not for profit influence in the sponsorship world for sure yeah, that's that's really for me. That's really exciting to uh, you know to see those changes because I mean, obviously that was um, not a conversation we would have had ten years ago, but now it's a conversation like you said that we're having, and that's an you know an expectation in a lot of cases. Yeah, you know, and you're right. It, it's been about a ten year trend, and it it started where um, you would see a lot of events, for example, the larger events couldn't man all their hospitality and concession stations. And they would give those stations to not-for-profit groups to man and then give them a cut of the profits. So if, you know, a Boy Scout troop was at a certain concession stand, at the end of the event, they'd get a cut of the proceeds uh, from the sales of that day. So that's kind of what I saw as the start of this not-for-profit interaction with events and with sponsorship. But yeah, over the last decade, it has exploded. And again, I'm happy to see that as well. Because now you not only have an entertaining event, but you have an entertaining event that has some socially important purpose to it. Yeah, that's really neat. So what are you most excited about? Like, what do you, where do you see the trends? And like, so one of them you said was the event social responsibility. But I mean, the world is changing so quick now. And with, with digital and online and everybody watching, it seems like more people watch the sporting events through their screen than they do watch it live, which I don't get. But what do you see the trends coming in the marketplace? Yeah. And I think the digital and online areas uh, will benefit the most from all this because there's such integration. So you mentioned second screen and now there's third screen and new stadiums that are being built uh, have to have sufficient bandwidth for Wi-Fi to ensure that the fans can have device accessibility for their phones or tablets or however they want to enjoy the event using the digital experience as well as the live experience. But those types of things are really exciting to me, but perhaps the most exciting is 
the data that we have at our disposal, especially um, digital online, really give us the ability to understand our audiences better. And as, as part of sponsorship, you know, both from a demographics perspective and from a psychographic perspective, you have to understand your audience, what they like, what they enjoy, what they do, what their beliefs are, all of those things. Now, not in an intrusive way, right? It's not, it's, it's not, you know, inv invasive to privacy, but understanding so that sponsors and properties can tailor the experience to what their audiences love to do. What I'm really excited to see over the next year, two years, three years, is we are enhancing our understanding of audiences and we're getting to know better kind of what they really want to see out of sponsored events. And that gives us the ability to deliver to that need. So it's not only we're not not just interested in selling things to them that uh, obviously that that there's some there's, there's some benefit to that as part of sponsorship. But we want to deliver to them an experience because once they have that better experience, that relationship is enhanced and that relationship extends far beyond the sponsorship. So as technology gives us the tools to, to better connect with them, it gives us the ability to speak with them more profoundly and over a longer period of time. Now, do you think that the the consumers understand the the financial benefit of sponsorship in terms of you know how much revenue it actually generates for um, a sporting team or a particular event, and how that you know really that's a benefit all on its own, um, in that somebody else is picking up a really big piece of the budget. Yeah, I think that there's a lot of sophistication on the fan side as to that revenue stream. I mean, they see all the large brands and they understand that that they are paying um, for the right to be present at those events. There's actually it's it's interesting you say that there's actually a downside to that for the sponsor at times. What we've seen in terms of positive image transfer that fans think less of brands that are at bigger events than brands that sponsor smaller community events. Okay, interesting. Be because yeah. they, they feel, so their survey data is telling us that the, the fans feel that, oh yeah, of course they're at their event, uh, this, this prestigious event like the Super Bowl or whatever, because you know they want to talk to us. They're trying to talk to us and sell us something. That's why they're here. So generally those lower profile events, those events that are not perceived to be as commercial, the benefit to those sponsors is greater at those smaller, more localized events uh, for just that reason, Doug, is that because fans are savvy to why sponsors want to be at certain events. That's why authenticity, sincerity, really doing something that benefits the fan is so important or it can actually boomerang on, yep. the, on the sponsor. Do do you see companies or have you seen companies actually that have a policy or a statement around that? I mean, when social media was came on the scene, I was volunteering with some government boards and we had to address all the issues around, you know, um, how do we deal with staff and how do we deal with pictures and how we deal with everything else? So are you seeing companies now drafting policies around and, and sharing that with their audience or their, their consumers of, of what their policy is around sponsorship? Yeah. So the larger the larger companies will have their sponsorship policy on their website. Usually, in a special category describing their community involvement, and so they're they're sharing their policies very explicitly uh, for a variety of reasons. One is um, they're announcing to the world the types of sponsorships that they will consider and the types of sponsorships they won't. You know, for example, uh, we see a lot of the larger banks uh, will only deal with things that are involved in education, community development, and economic development, and that's it. Um, yep. And so. But uh, we're seeing companies be very explicit about that. 
uh, which is good. I mean, whenever there's clear communication between, you know, sponsor and the community, that's always a benefit. And it gives them a little bit of a, a space to brag because, you know, if no one knows you've done it, you ain't done it. And so yeah. <laughs> yeah. It, it gives them the opportunity yeah. to speak authentically about, you know, here's this great event or here's this great charity that we support through sponsorship and here's why. And so it's really important for a company to do that, do that as well. Yeah. And I think sometimes, I mean, I've seen it both on the not-for-profit and the corporate side. So the not-for-profit doesn't want to tell the community everything they're doing because they don't want to seem like they're bragging or the company doesn't want to do that. But like you said, I mean, I, we looked at it a different way. I went, you know, if we can invite people into our story and what we're doing, what we'd like to do is have more people join us. So it was more about how can we build, like I shared with you before we started, how can we build a team of people that wherever we go put money, people follow and write bigger checks. Right. And that's the perfect approach, right? Because whether you share kind of a, it's a quasi case study or, you know, here's what we did and here's the impact that we had. So if you do the same, you can have even more impact in a positive way. You know, everything that we do is not about keeping secrets, right? And, and frankly, in terms of the, the, the formal definition of sponsorship versus donation, you know, donation is by definition secret. Sponsor, yeah. Sponsorship by definition is is there's a commercial benefit going to the sponsor, whether we want to admit it or not. The sponsor benefits by being affiliated with a not-for-profit, for example. So as long as we do it appropriately and not in a really braggadocious way, it's like you said, it, it can encourage further action to support that cause, especially if it's really cool, it's really novel, it's a creative approach in terms of you know how the not-for-profit and the sponsor work together. There's all kinds of benefit to telling your story, but and just telling it appropriately. That's really the only guideline. So, you know, we've talked about kind of one side. So identify your audience and and and, and look for identify good sponsor um, opportunities. How much of your effort is spent now then helping the company to do two things? First of all, make sure they get what they paid for. And then secondly, that they that they activate. Yeah, that's we spend a lot of time doing that. So sponsorship fulfillment is often for for larger companies not so much for the smaller companies involved in sponsorship is difficult cuz you'll have a relationship and let, it could be a you know a, an NHL hockey team it could be a major league baseball team or or um sponsorships that are larger like that like the olympics for instance those will have thousands of deliverables and they will have many, many different programs that are going on at the same time. So ensuring that the sponsor gets what it's what it paid for, but more importantly, is is fully leveraging what it what it paid for uh, is a critical thing. And so we would help um, some of those companies on the fulfillment side get the benefit of what they paid for in order to have those great benefits we talked about, like brand awareness or lead generation. So that's part of it. But we're also going to help us a company. For example, some of the larger companies have multiple sponsorships. So one question is, do those multiple sponsorships live together appropriately in the same portfolio? Do they fit together? Do they help promote the brand image of the company or do they conflict with each other? No, that's interesting. Hadn't considered that. Yeah. Yeah. So it, the, the sponsorship fit within a portfolio is so important because it's got to fit not only the personality of the brand, but the category has got to be right as well. So sometimes we'll find, you know, very family oriented, uh, sedate brands all of a sudden find themselves in extreme sport sponsorships. And not only doesn't it work, it's actually counterproductive because it confuses, it confuses your audience. Like, 
what's this family brand, you know, doing at the X Games or, <laughs> That's right. or, or at the MMA or whatever? Right, yeah. exactly, yeah. exactly. So, so we'll help uh, brands, especially you know, sometimes these sponsorship portfolios get to be like unruly gardens, right? They just <laughs> the weeds take over, and you know, I didn't plant that, and how did that grow here? And so uh, we'll come in with some pruning shears, or at least kind of just a way to organize your garden better to to help them kind of get the the most out of what sponsorship can offer them. So who do you, you know, maybe this, I'm putting on the spot, let me ask any help. So in terms of leadership, are there any brands that you can think of that you see uh, of taking a real leadership role in in activating sponsorships and, and, and doing an excellent job? Yeah, I'm glad you, you mentioned, asked that. Mentioned, mentioned Honda was as one. Yeah, Honda's definitely one. And they, uh, so their sponsorships really range from, uh, obviously, IndyCar is, is, is where they've been for, you know, over two decades. But they're also everything from the Tournament of Roses parade to the to little league to a variety of different sponsored events but one i really want to mention because the genesis of this is this is one of my favorite sponsorship activation stories uh, is procter and gamble who i think is a real leader in the sponsorship area and does a great job and this goes all the way back to the 2010 winter olympics remember where that was yeah, we just uh, we're just looking at all our pictures. We had a house party and we're talking about the hockey game. We had uh, tickets for the game, so it was great. It was in yeah. Vancouver. It was in gorgeous Vancouver, British Columbia, yeah. Yeah. and and Procter Gamble did what I think was one of the the best campaigns around a sponsorship that I've ever seen. So at least half the people who watch the Olympics are female, and a good chunk of those are mothers. Uh, either they have a mother, they are a mother, and. Procter & Gamble rolled out a campaign, which it continued to use in subsequent Olympics because it was so successful, called Thank You, Mom. And really what Procter & Gamble said about its sponsorship of the Olympics, starting with that Winter Olympic Games, was that we're involved in the Olympics because we want to thank the moms of the athletes who made the Olympics possible. And so all the sacrifice that moms have made around the world uh, the financial sacrifice, the life sacrifice, everything that a mom did that made it possible for her son or her daughter to be in the Olympic Games. Thank you, mom. And that campaign, which resonated throughout all everything that Procter & Gamble did in that Olympic Games and in subsequent Olympic Games, like in London in 2012, yeah. uh, was all about thank you, mom. Now that I call that a double, almost a triple bank shot. Because not only was Procter & Gamble kind of fully activating their sponsorship where they spent probably well over $100 million um, sponsoring uh, the Olympics, being a top Olympic sponsor of the International Olympic Committee, but they were really resonating about what their brand was all about. All the products within their portfolio brands had that same common theme, and I thought that was just brilliant. So when you talk about leadership, I would love every brand to be as creative and insightful and, and effective as what Procter & Gamble did in Vancouver. Yeah, that's amazing. I mean, when you think about it, I mean, who can hate on the mums, right? I mean, right. All, yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's a pretty, it's a pretty safe audience to 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 cheer on, and uh, yeah, I mean, it doesn't take uh, too many uh, too many minutes to have some nice, warm feelings. You're thinking of your mom, your grandma, and all the people that supported you to get where you got to. Yeah, I told I tell my team all the time. I said, if you could make the client cry with a great story, <laughs> you've, <laughs> you've done the most amazing thing. And 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 watching that campaign roll out, I'd encourage anybody to go to YouTube. Uh, the com the com the commercials for it are still resident on YouTube. Uh, it's really an amazing thing because it de that demonstrates sponsorship can move feelings. 
sponsorship can make you feel something. So that's clearly a leader. Um, but there are all kinds of, of stories about fantastic ROI. For example, let's let, let's focus on Canada, another great Canadian company, uh, Bombardier Aerospace. Yep. When they're in auto racing for every, which is a, t- a target rich environment, if you're trying to sell a Learjet, yeah, it or, is. Yeah, that's right. Or yeah. Ch- Challenger yeah. or Global yeah. Express, it you know race teams need those types of aircraft uh, to shuttle around the world. Race team owners, uh, high net worth individuals. So Bombardier, as part of its B two B sponsorship, so this is another type of sponsorship, not B two C like Procter and Gamble, but B two B. So Bombardier, for every one million dollars it spent on sponsorship, it earned thirty two million dollars back. Wow, that's amazing. So a thirty two to one ROI was absolutely brilliant. And so you look at like, why should, you know, if I'm a business, why should I sponsor? Well, no one can promise you a 32 to one ROI on what you spend in sponsorship, but it's possible. Yeah. Well, the other thing that I was thinking when you're saying B2B and B2C, it got me thinking back of our days working with the NHL was that, you know, there's, there's a couple of audiences in the arena that you could address. There's the consumer person who goes to work every day, works for someone else as an employee, which is the B2C. And then there's all the other brands. So if you're marketing to the other brands that, um, you know, while your ad appears there, um, you're now kind of on par with them. So that makes that a B2B opportunity. Yeah, it really does. And especially, you know, a lot of those brands will show up, um, say, in the suite. So yeah. they're, you know, they're watching a game. So they show up in the suite. So when the chief executive of one brand meets the chief of ex- executive of another, there are stories upon stories of that's the start of a beautiful relationship uh, that ended up in business being struck as a, as a part of being in the same place at the same time, supporting the same team. So for our listeners that, that you know, are enjoying our conversation, thinking, okay, that sounds all well and fine. How do you start in terms of preparing a budget and ROI? Because at some point you're going to have to sit down, you know, in front of your CEO or your CFO, and you're going to pitch your case and ask for some money. That's a great question. So there are really myriad numbers of budgets. So there are local sponsorships in the tens of thousands there are international sponsorships in the hundreds of millions and everything in between. So there isn't one size fits all. There isn't one budget that's going to work. But here's how I'd have people start. Say, for example, you find the right property. It has the same audience as your customer base and you want to engage in product sampling or let's just say lead generation. So you estimate how many leads by working with the property. So you would, in the case of the hockey example, talking to the Canucks, it's you know, how many leads do you hope that you can generate as a, as part of being on site at a game in an arena? In terms of the price that would be, the question for you would be, well, what would it take for you to do that on your own without a hockey event sponsorship? And so start with that's that's going to be what's called the rights fee. You're going to end up paying a fee to to a team or to an event for the honor of being their relationship. Okay. Yep. So that, that's the first part. Then generally, um, you're going to leverage. There's going to be cost to leverage that event. It'll be the cost of buying advertising, of social adver- of social media, of hiring a publicist, of doing any or or doing an on-site display. Whatever plan that you have to make your relationship a reality, that's generally called leverage or activation. Now the ratio between fee and that 
you probably want to aim for one-to-one. Okay. So if you spend $50,000 for a rights fee, you want to plan on spending around $50,000 in activation for a total budget. You're going to your boss and you're asking for the budget, total budget of $100,000. If it's a lot less than that, like if it's 0.25 to one, don't do it. Or if you have to spend all your money, sometimes you can, we have sponsors that, and it's a lot A lot of times with the local major league team, uh, whatever sport, it's like it was a $300,000 sponsorship, but they don't have any other budget. They, they spend it all on the rights yeah. and they have no budget to make it a reality. Don't do it. You're really not getting any kind of return on investment that you'll be proud of. So just scale. If that's your, if 300 is your budget, scale it down. Right. That's a great, that's great advice. Cause I, I never looked at, looked at it that way. We learned that kind of by, you know, trial by fire that, you know, while you get the rights, there's no activation there and you really need to put together a, a marketing plan on its own to leverage the rights. Right. And, and the rights fee plus that marketing plan cost, that's your total budget. Uh, but again, you want to look at, and you want to measure up front, like, what am I trying to accomplish? Yeah. So if I'm trying to increase brand consideration by, you know, 50%, that's your goal going in. So everything that you're spending should be spending around that goal. Well, and I guess the, you know, the rights fee is kind of probably the easier sell because that's the ego piece. Hey, I get my logo on the IndyCar. Right. Um, so I can tell all my friends and I can point to, you know, my logo on the IndyCar. So that's that's the easier sell and the tougher sell. I'm, I'm guessing and, you know, feel free to feel free to tell me I'm wrong, is that the activation where now you need to create, you know, like you said, a publicist and a plan and buy money on media pointing to the logo on the car might be a bit tougher to sell. Yeah, that's exactly right. And so we see that the, actually, so colleagues of mine, you mentioned ego. There's a nickname for that. We call it Execuim. <laughs> Where it's, it's it's the whim of the executive, that ego to want to be on that car. So they, they end up spending what is most of the budget just to obtain the rights. And some of this is crazy expensive. So, you know, a primary sponsorship on an Indy car could be anywhere from 2.5 to 5 million. PGA sponsorships could be 7, 8, 9, 10 million for one tournament. So when you have ego driven decisions to do that and then no budget left over because all of it was spent to get your name in lights. Yeah. Uh, that's crazy. And as a, as a professional in the sponsorship industry, I hate it because then after the fact, when the sponsorship doesn't work, it wasn't because of the bad strategy. It was sponsorship doesn't work. Right. We put our name on this and nothing <laughs> happened. <laughs> yeah, that's funny. And so, yeah, what that's uh, you got to that's the big pitfall. We've now shared with your listeners kind of one of the biggest pitfalls in sponsorship. But I mean, that's that's great to know. And we know that even from the um, doing some of the smaller community events. And what we learned very quickly was we had to create a kind of rule set, if you will, and an audit list. So if you've asked me to sponsor fill in the blanks, local charity event, let's say it's a ten thousand dollar event and you're promising me these things, uh, we need to audit back and make sure we get those things um, because they have less staff and probably less experience than the larger sponsors do, and they do no activation. So yeah, I think that's a huge win for our listeners is to understand that like good advice, cut your cut your budget in half, half goes to rights fee, half goes to activation so you can leverage that relationship with the brand, whatever the brand is that you sponsored. Yeah, and you raise another good point in that, Doug, and that's, whether you're buying a sponsorship as a sponsor or you're a not-for-profit or other property selling a sponsorship, you got to also make sure not only the budget, you got to make sure you got a staff that can handle the sponsorship. These things take a lot of work. 
And so not only is there a budget attendant to making these things happen, you have to have the people in place to do it. So if you're a not-for-profit and you sold a sponsorship, you have to fulfill it. You have to deliver what you promise. And, you know, an overworked executive director is probably not a good candidate for the person who's going to deliver the sponsorship uh, benefits. So like question, do you have someone on staff who can do this? And have you estimated the time it'll take? Again, if you if the answer is no, don't do it. Yeah. Sponsorship is is fantastic and works magic for a lot of people, but it's not for everybody. Yeah. And with the not for profits, I mean, a lot of the volunteer work we've done really sometimes is trying to get them to understand that you can ask for more money. This isn't this isn't a social event where seventy five dollars is, you know, charge five hundred dollars or charge a thousand dollars a ticket or twenty five. Like make sure that you're accomplishing your goal. So you like you said, you can attract bigger sponsors and you can and you can deliver what you promised. No, Absolutely. These are often value-based transactions, right? Yep. It, is, it isn't about the cost. Like the cost of your dinner is only $10 a plate, so I'm going to charge $20. No, like you said, charge 50 charge 500 because it's the value of the association that's really, you know, what's at risk right here. Well, it's about getting the right people in the room, which is the yeah. same thing as sponsorship, right? I mean, you you know, there's nothing wrong with sitting up in the 300 seats watching the game. But if you want to deal with the corporate guys, you need to be in the suite. It's just a different different location. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. So what's some of the bad advice that you hear, aside from sponsorship doesn't work for the people who didn't know what they're doing in the industry? Yeah, I think, I think the bad advice involves the set it and forget it tactic that we talked about that people undersell what it will take to make a sponsorship successful. So that advice usually comes from properties who want to sell a sponsorship. <laughs> um, to, yeah, to, it's, it's easy. Uh, Just write a check. We'll do all the work. It'll be exactly. Easy. Exactly. So they under, they, and I wouldn't say they purposely underestimate, but they, they underestimate for the, the new um, sponsor what it will take to make that sponsorship a reality, or they promise to do the fulfillment. Right. And so in either case, what you have is you have a sponsor that doesn't control fulfillment. They're, they're surprised by what they get, or in many cases, what they don't get. Because again, set it and forget it is not a strategy in sponsorship. It takes work, right? The, these results like Bombardier having that 32 to one ROI, that takes a lot of work. Um, so you can get great results, but you're not going to sit back and like let that logo work for you <laughs> on that race car. So the bad advice is, uh, hey, this is easy. Don't worry about it. It Do worry about it, <laughs> but yeah. you'll get a great result if you do. Well, and I, I look at it, you know, and not, it's not a, maybe a fair comparison, but I compare it to a trade show. So if I, if I register in a trade show, I'm registering there for a bunch of reasons, but I don't expect the organizers to bring me my audience. Right. Because most of them do a poor job at that and they have a hundred people or 500 people or a thousand people to serve. So you have to take responsibility to, to make sure that I get my audience in that, in that uh, building. Yeah, no, that's exactly right. You know, some other some other advice that that I've seen over the years is uh, sponsors that don't do their due diligence in terms of the properties that they're getting involved with. What you see kind of this happens a lot with athletes find bad behavior happens during <laughs> sponsorship. Yeah, some of it's not very surprising. Yeah. Like it sh it should have been kind of known going in, or not having protection for it going in, like uh, the ability to cancel the the sponsorship. But sometimes you see sponsors just kind of go in head first 
to a sponsorship without doing their homework. And you've seen some really spectacular failures as a result of that. Things that where the sponsors, not only did they not get what they wanted, they got hurt. I mean, they got really hurt by by being with a with a property or an athlete that ended up just in a PR mess. Yeah. So uh, that's that's another kind of you know you know buyer beware applies in sponsorship as much as in anything. Well, and, and that may be a great point for planning as you're looking at these things to to go through the what ifs. You know, what if something goes offside? What, like you said, to your point, what's our contractual obligation? Okay, fine. That's the that's out of the way. Now, what are we going to do from a PR point of view if something goes offside? Right, because just just as it could go really really great. It can go off the rails. And if you don't believe me, ask the sponsors who sponsored Lance Armstrong before the performance enhancing drug scandal broke or Southwest Airlines who sponsored SeaWorld until the movie Blackfish came out. So you have all these different sponsorship relationships. And I'm not saying those were due diligence issues, but these things happen. Again, there's a bit, you know, like in any relationship, there's a bit of unpredictability. And so just Going in eyes wide open is super important. Well, that's amazing. I really enjoyed this conversation and I like this whole world of sponsorship. And, you know, I'm not an expert at it. I've dipped my toe in it a few times and had some experience and enjoyed it and enjoyed more of the the not-for-profit side because that's an area that we're passionate about. But obviously everyone's got their, you know, their um, kind of their vision, mission and purpose for their business. So I just want to say thanks for um, thanks for sharing with us today. You're very welcome, Doug. And you could expect that call from the NHL. I'm going to have them call you because <laughs> <laughs> you're, you're experienced in the area. <laughs> yeah, well, I, I, I got experienced in activation because they call me and say, what are you doing? You're getting all this attention. It's like, doesn't everybody do this? I'm just a little guy. Like, aren't the big? Apparently not. Um, so I, I did learn I did learn the activation level. But what I didn't know in advance, to your point, was I didn't realize the cost of activation and, and staff and additional media budget to leverage the the rights um, I hadn't, hadn't considered it at all and okay just you write the check for the sponsorship and that's it it's like nope because nothing else happens you need to make it happen you need to make it happen exactly so two questions and i'll let you get back to uh serving your clients one is who's one guest i absolutely have to have on my podcast david baker David Baker. Okay. And now are you able to introduce me to David? Yeah. So David Baker, he is called the expert's expert. And he is someone who helps uh, entrepreneurial creative agencies really find their way in the area of positioning. Okay. Uh, David is brilliant. I think that anyone who is involved, who's listening, who's involved in a, any type of creative agency, digital, online, any of them would benefit from David's advice. He's totally awesome. Well, super cool. And uh, most important question today, Ken, is how can people connect with you, your company, learn more about you, learn more about sponsorship and uh, get uh, get their foot uh, in the door? Yeah, if if anybody's interested, we have a, a free ebook uh, that kind of walks you through how to get started in sponsorship. It's available at freebook.chargesponsorship.com. Uh, so just check it out. It's free. And uh, because we want really everybody to be successful in sponsorships so that uh, people can know the, the joy of this great marketing tool. There you go. Sounds uh, sounds good. Hey, I appreciate you. Uh, thanks again for taking time out of your day to share with our audience. 
So listeners, I hope you enjoy this episode. It's a, it's a different style and different direction we've gone. And I've experienced both sides of sponsorship. And I would just uh, encourage you to head over to Ken's website. Um, have a look, take a look around, reach out, have a conversation with them, see if this is a good fit for you. And at least explore and get the right, you know, ask the right questions. Uh, so you start the process correctly. So we appreciate you for listening. And I look forward to serving you on our next episode. That's all for this episode of Real Marketing Real Fast. Now it's time to take your marketing to the next level by visiting DougMorneau.com and downloading our advanced marketing white papers as well as exclusive resources based on today's episode. That's DougMorneau.com. Until next time, we look forward to serving you right here on Real Marketing Real Fast.